Hello, I'm Sheena Gill, and welcome to this episode of Early Detect Studios. Today, we are thrilled to feature Francois Debrant, Senior Vice President, Episodes of Care at Signify Health. Francois leads customer development for Signify's Episode of Care Solutions. As an accomplished leader in the value-based payments and care world, Francois has spent close to two decades working to transform the U.S. healthcare system by improving incentives for providers and consumers in order to encourage value-based decisions. He holds a master's degree in economics and finance from the University of Paris and a master's degree in business administration from the Tech School of Business Administration at Dartmouth College. Welcome, Francois. Well, thank you, Sheena, and thank you for uh, giving me an opportunity today to uh, uh, reflect on, on a lot of the uh, exciting uh, changes that are occurring in uh, the U.S. Uh, delivery system um, and in the payment world. Absolutely. So why don't we begin with um, sharing with our audience a little bit about Signify Health. Um, we would love to understand Signify's mission and vision and your role in making all of that happen. Yeah, sure. So Signify Health is a relatively young company uh, that uh, stemmed from uh, the combination of a few divisions. One focused on in-home evaluations, really working with Medicare beneficiaries uh, across the country and facilitated by a very large uh, group of uh, physicians, nurse practitioners, uh, who do these in-home evaluations, which include uh, um, evaluations of diagnostic conditions of the patients, but also, and importantly, um, any issues around social determinants of health. Um, and that brings us to the second part of Signify Health, which is and has been very focused on stitching together community-based organizations, uh, exchanging information with a secure layered uh, platform, um, and helping to both identify and more importantly to address uh, social determinants of health and uh, any uh, number of um, plan members for uh, Medicare Advantage plans, Medicaid managed care plans, uh, and of course, uh, under 65 commercially insured. And then the last piece of uh, the Signify um, a group is and, and has been focused on designing and implementing uh, alternative payment models and in particular episode of care payment programs. Um, and so when you stitch all of that together, what you get is a company that's highly focused on improving uh, the delivery of care, uh, trying to ensure that uh, uh, plan members, whether they be Medicare beneficiaries, Medicaid beneficiaries or others, really end up by having happy, healthy days at home uh, to the extent possible um, and uh, supporting the delivery system in its transformation by impacting the way in which the delivery system uh, is paid. And my role is uh, uh, really to lead um, uh, the organization in a couple of directions. One, uh, supporting, uh, continuing to support uh, research, thought, uh, leadership, um, uh, discussions with uh, members of uh, Congress as well as the administration to share uh, lessons that we learn uh, along the way in the implementation of our programs. And of course, uh, engaging deeply with payers uh, and employers in particular uh, to help them understand uh, what can be done um, uh, and, and the results that can be achieved when you really transform the way in which uh, the current delivery system works 
and how payment uh, can affect it. So I, I, my intervention is across all these domains. Wonderful, wonderful. So um, how would you describe the status of the value-based payments, you know, the value-based care world today? What, what do you have to say about that? How far have we come? Yeah, we've come a very long way. And the good news is that uh, the transformation of payment in the United States is truly a bipartisan um, uh, goal. Uh, so when you look at the evolution of uh, value-based payments in the U.S., uh, it, it hasn't it, it hasn't really stopped, um, uh, irrespective of who's in Congress or who controls the White House. Uh, both branches of the government, or all branches of the government, I think, are united in uh, accelerating that transformation. And we've seen effectively each new administration building on what the prior administration has done, not destroying what the prior administration has done and trying to build something else, as, as can happen uh, very often. So there's, there's a lot of unity in uh, this particular uh, area, and for good reasons, because uh, you know research continues to show that uh, on average, uh, Americans do not get the quality of care that is commensurate with the dollars that are being spent on that care. Uh, the U.S. Uh, systematically lags other developed countries um, in both uh, the quality of outcomes as well as the affordability of, right. of health care. So everyone understands that there's a lot to be done and a lot has been done. Um, one uh, key indicator is uh, a dashboard that's maintained by uh, an organization called the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network, which was set up by uh, the Affordable Care Act and um, uh, really under the aegis of Medicare, CMS, um, uh, and, and, and they track on a yearly basis uh, the volume of dollars that are now being um, uh, put into value-based arrangements, and they created a classification of value-based uh, arrangements so that it shouldn't be good enough to say, oh, yes, we have a large amount of our medical spend under value-based arrangements. What type of value-based arrangement uh, is it uh, is included in that mix? And so uh, when we look at that dashboard, um, we see greater and greater portions of medical spend in what we can think of as advanced uh, alternative payment models, payment models that include upside, downside risk for physicians that really engage them in uh, improving outcomes of patients. So the a lot of progress has been made. I think it's uneven um, uh, right now, uh, uh, both um, states in their Medicaid work and the federal government in Medicare lead the pack. Um, and the private sector is uh, uh, close behind, uh, but I'd say that it's close behind because of the actions of employers who are really the ones that are uh, pushing for an acceleration of uh, how uh, payment and new payment models can be uh, adopted and implemented for their employed populations. So there's still a lot of work to be done, but everyone's moving in the same direction and the pace certainly seems to be accelerating. Wonderful, that's a, that's a great um, summary on where we are right now. So Francois, um, you wrote an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that was very fascinating to me. Uh, and in that article, you said that um, risk is measurable while uncertainty isn't. 
and confusing them has a profound implication on the participation of providers in APMs. Now, you know, as I said, this was just fascinating to us. Do you believe um, alternative payment metal, uh, models will scale when providers have more ability to measure risk? You know, and, and moreover, what is the role of data and AI in all of this? And you know, specifically, is the early detection of risk both to save lives and dollars? You know, integral to the value-based world. Um, you know, for example, a few things that come to my mind are, uh, you know, preventing avoidable C-sections or, or surgeries or detecting preventable um, HIAs or, or false positives and, you know, readmissions, you know, detecting mothers who can obtain care in their homes versus the hospitals. You know, I'd love to hear about this. Yeah, and let's, let's focus in on uh, maternity as a good example of uh, where uh, alternative payment models are absolutely essential. Um, and where there's so much work to be done uh, uh, because uh, while I, I mentioned earlier that the U.S. lags other developed countries in outcomes and affordability, in maternal outcomes, uh, uh, the uh, United States now is trending in an unfavorable way relative to other developed countries and countries um, in uh, the pathway of being fully developed. And, and, and that's uh, unexcusable. Uh, given the again the, the the total amount of dollars that are being spent on on healthcare, uh, the fact that uh, uh, maternal outcomes are worsening in the U.S. is just unacceptable, and uh, they're worsening uh, for uh, women of color a lot more than they are for Caucasians, which is a, a double indictment, uh, quite frankly, of yes. uh, the state of healthcare, and so. Um, uh, let, let's unpack a bit the notions of risk and, and, and uncertainty. So the challenge with a lot of physicians and obstetricians aren't any different in implementing alternative payment models is that when a payer, whether it's a health plan, a Medicaid agency, or an employer approach an, obst an obstetric groups and asks them to participate in an alternative payment model, if they don't specify clearly and unambiguously the conditions of participation. What is going to be included and not included? Um, how the program is going to work? Um, whether or not there'll be shifts along the way, you're creating very high degrees of uncertainty. And as a result of which, upfront, as I'm making a decision to participate and trying to determine um, what the likelihood is that I may uh, end up downside, meaning upside down um, on that risk arrangement, I just don't know. So that uncertainty is going to become a phenomenal barrier in uh, participating in that program. Another degree of uncertainty, which you mentioned, is that while I have an existing patient mix, that patient mix can shift during the performance period. Um, and not understanding how that patient mix changes, not being able to assess appropriately the different uh, ranges of uh, risk factors associated to the women and the babies um, that, are part, that are going to be included in the program adds to that level of uncertainty. So risk is fine. Once you get rid of uncertainty, then um, as you know, any going concern, I can assess the risks. Uh, I can figure out how to de-risk the program by doing certain interventions that have been proven to be effective. And at that point, it's up to me, right? It's not up to chance as to whether or not I could win or lose on the program, but it really is up to 
the team, how they approach the care of the women, what they do to improve the outcomes. And it becomes, uh, at that point, the financial result gets very closely linked to the clinical activity of the provider, as opposed to the financial outcome being linked to a number of other variables that are outside of the control of the clinicians managing the patients. Um, and so I, 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 to your point around data, it is one of the absolute key essential ingredients um, in, uh, in de-risking uh, these programs and reducing uncertainty. So in other words, if upfront, um, as a payer is approaching uh, an OB group and asking them to participate in an advanced alternative payment program, if they don't reveal to them uh, the historical past, uh, what the case mix of the patients was, who the other participants in um, uh, the total cost of the episodes uh, were, and the differences in those costs, then I'm flying blind. Right? So I need data in order to be able to understand the past and be able to make better decisions about the future. And then when I'm in the program, I absolutely need to figure out what are the different risk profiles of the women that are included in the program and what interventions can I bring to bear in order to, again to now de-risk the program itself. So I've taken uncertainty out or I've reduced uncertainty a lot. It's now up to me and, and, and being effective as a team in managing that pregnancy and the delivery is all about understanding the risks involved in that pregnancy and having clarity um, on that risk. Absolutely. This conversation actually reminds me of some of your recent work. Um, I want to congratulate your team for the great maternal health, uh, the Signify uh, Eastern Connecticut work uh, that you, you know, had performed. Um, this project was you know, remarkably interesting as it involved data and analytics. Um, it had a quality first goal. It had a longitudinal view. Please share with our audience a little bit about this project. Yeah, and so this is part of a, of a, of a larger effort that was um, really prompted by uh, the actions of the state employee plan in Connecticut under the leadership of uh, the state's controller, uh, Kevin Lembo, who uh, with his team has been very active over a number of years in trying to get uh, the delivery system uh, to increase the value of the care that they're delivering for state employees. And so as part of that uh, multi-year effort, uh, the state uh, hired Signify to manage a comprehensive episode of care payment program, contract with a number of providers in the state, uh, and really then work collaboratively with those providers to improve maternal outcomes in addition to a whole uh, 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 number of other conditions and uh, procedures. And Eastern Connecticut uh, is one of those uh, systems that's very engaged in uh, the state of Connecticut and has uh, really um, uh, developed uh, a lot of internal processes, process improvements, quality improvement, engagement of teams, right? Because it's not just about the OB, but really when you're doing a global maternity episode that includes the newborn and postpartum care, you need the, 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 the active participation of the facilities, the engagement of the pediatricians, uh, potential engagements of other specialists who can manage uh, uh, any other number of conditions that uh, the woman um, uh, may have, including substance use disorders, mental health issues, uh, and other medical conditions. So it really truly is a team approach and kudos to Eastern Connecticut for bringing those elements together. And, and in their own admission, uh, 
they likely would not have done it if there wasn't a different financial package, right. an episode of care payment program that, that gave them all of the reasons that they needed to push in this direction. Very interesting. You know, another um, great project that comes to mind is your work with Texas and the Medicaid managed population. Um, this project really stood out uh, not only because of the ability to appropriately identify risks for mothers and for children, um, but also because of its focus on health equity um, and disparities. You know, um, social determinants of health is such an important part of the supply and demand healthcare equation. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about this project. Yeah, uh, great question. And um, uh, the the uh, Medicaid managed care organization in Texas. Um, uh, much like Medicaid managed care organizations across the country and Medicaid agencies are very, very focused appropriately on uh, maternity. Um, and in fact, we expect that this current administration um, will uh, take some degree of action over the next 12 months uh, to create either some uniformity in how um, uh, states can approach uh, alternative payment models around maternity and or give some very uh, specific um, uh, mandates, I don't want to call mandates, but instructions to Medicaid agencies across the country and goals around alternative payment models as part of the mechanisms to improve outcomes. And so uh, this uh, uh, Medicaid managed care organization, uh, very large in Texas, um, has taken um, the initiative to uh, do this on their own, even without any federal or local guidance. Um, and, and it's for understandable reasons. I mean, when they look at their population of Medicaid beneficiaries, um, it, it's a mix where uh, you have many women who are at risk, um, at risk in, in their environment, uh, at risk uh, given uh, other uh, comorbid conditions. And you really need to change the way, again, in which you engage uh, different uh, parts of uh, the delivery system and community-based organizations. Uh, because in particular for the Medicaid population, uh, engaging uh, with community-based organizations has a very lasting positive effect. Um, and not simply uh, when uh, uh, the, the woman uh, has a, a number of additional comorbid conditions such as substance use disorders or mental health conditions, but just generally speaking for the women and her after the baby is born, having support services, right. being able to uh, link with community-based organizations that may help with uh, um, uh, just simple things like diapers right. um, and uh, you know, formula for the baby. And you know we don't necessarily think about that, but uh, there, there are a lot of those uh, different types of supports that are really important for those women and their babies after the delivery and that will ensure uh, that uh, both mother and child uh, have better long longer term outcomes. Right. So all of this uh, really ends up by being a uh, multi-organizational um, uh, um, uh, collaboration and, uh, and, and ultimately the way these organizations are paid uh, makes a big difference. Um, in the FIFA service world, Everyone's doing their own thing. No one really cares about what the other is doing. And, um, and the patients fall 
uh, into deep, deep cracks. And so reforming payment is the way through which ultimately you reform the delivery system, but then you have to bring these pieces together. Um, and it is exciting to see Medicaid managed care organizations like this one in Texas really stepping up uh, and taking a leadership role. Absolutely. So um, this brings me to the thought, you know, um, many believe a fundamental flaw in fee-for-service healthcare is that diseases um, and risks, they're just identified too late. Um, some will say that the system is not routinely incentivized for early detection. You know, on the contrary, though, you know, value-based payments and value-based care, um, you know, supported by data and algorithms for early detection, is it's kind of like a double whammy. Um, do you think value-based payments and value-based care does it does it support early detection and thus improved outcomes? You know, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, look, early detection ends up by being. Um... A, a very, very powerful lever of success. Um, and again, in the fee-for-service world, as you indicated, it, it's not that the, the physicians or the clinicians don't care. It, it's simply that uh, there's nothing in their daily work or their compensation system that, that um, gives them uh, any type of excuse uh, to do early detection of patient risks. And so when you're now, uh, and this is the reason I, I mentioned earlier, the Healthcare Payment Learning and Action Network has a classification of alternative payment models from you know, minor, uh, uh, probably benign and not particularly effective alternative payment models to more population-based um, management, population management focused alternative payment models. And when you are responsible for managing a population of patients, so women who have who are having a baby is a good example of a population. Um, if you're not actively looking at understanding and uh, identifying uh, the risks uh, of, of the management of that condition, and uh, in, in, in this instance, also the delivery of the baby, then you have no idea what type of interventions uh, to, to perform on behalf of uh, that patient in order to improve uh, the outcomes or the potential for positive outcomes. So that holds true for any other number of conditions or right. even procedures, because if you're a, 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 a physician managing a whole uh, slew of patients who have cardiac conditions and you're also gonna do cardiac procedures, then understanding the risk profile of those patients, trying to optimize them before right. a procedure uh, is going to reduce the potential for avoidable complications and poor outcomes on the back end. So uh, there's no question that the early identification of uh, patient risks, uh, the early identification of patients that may accrue into uh, a certain category or risk category in a, po in a managed population um, is, is an absolutely essential lever of success. Absolutely. So, you know, Francois, this is fascinating. Um, and linking all of your answers um, together, it seems like, um, you know, a, a shift towards calculated risk will help scale alternative payment methods, which will enable early detection of disease, especially with data and AI, uh, which will also, you know, curb spending um, and it'll improve options like moving health homeward and essentially improve health equity to, you know, a positive degree and um, which will overall shape behavior um, in the U.S. healthcare system in a more positive manner. Does that chain make sense to you? Have I captured it correctly? 
Absolutely does. And, and, and look, there's an old saying that uh, uh, form follows uh, function. Um, right. And in our world, we also think that function follows incentives. So if right. you reshape the incentives of the delivery system, then you change the fundamental functions of the delivery system and the shape of the delivery system will then evolve. So what the delivery system does, the function of the delivery system moves from individual encounters and managing individual encounters to manage patients over time and you right. simply can't do that effectively without a whole number of different processes that support those functions so it, it is a complicated long-term evolution of the system we see however uh, the speed with which uh, the delivery system adapts when uh, the the incentives change because they understand very, I mean, clinicians are incredibly smart. And so they know what needs to be done uh, to improve outcomes of the patients. They often, again, struggle to find the funds to get that done. But when you change incentives, you change effectively uh, the pool of funds that are available for physicians to transform the way they deliver care. And all of that ends up by having uh, very positive out, uh, 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 impacts on outcomes. Absolutely. So I know most would agree that you know, some shape of payment reform is needed uh, to curb spending and shape behavior in the U.S. healthcare system. Um, you know, but some will also say that payment reform alone uh, will not solve the complex problems of like, for example, preterm birth or maternal mortality, um, and that there are clearly you know, things like clinical advancements that are necessary. Um, so certainly, you know, the value-based world is a part of the equation, but from your perspective, what else is needed um, to, to really advance healthcare in the United States? What completes that chain we just talked about? Um, and I'd say a few things. So one, uh, it, it's being honest with uh, current outcomes and not taking them for granted that they can't be changed. Um, and, and they can be changed. And so, uh, and, and I think maternity is, is um, uh, the conversations we have with obstetricians are always enlightening because you very rapidly get into uh, this, the, the different component pieces of the pregnancy, the delivery, the newborn and the postpartum care. And obstetricians will say that it's really difficult uh, to change the current ratio of uh, C-sections to vaginal births, uh, which in the U.S. is one of the highest in, in, in the entire world. Um, and that's simply not true. And we know it's not true because uh, in Utah, <clears throat> the C-section rate is actually roughly at the level recommended by the World Health Organization at below 20%. And so it can be done. Um, uh, the question is, why isn't it being done in Utah and it's not being done everywhere else in the country? Well, some exactly. of that is cultural, but some of that is also how the obstetricians working with the pediatricians, working with the families, working with community-based organizations, really change the narrative around what's good for uh, the woman and the baby. And to give you a counterexample to that, um, uh, I was on a call uh, the other day with someone from a Medicaid agency who had just done a number of focus groups with women who had had babies in the past year and who um, were uh, expressing how they felt going through uh, that uh, event. And a number of them said that the physician didn't even ask them um, whether or not they wanted a C-section. They just performed the C-section. And so wow, we see this disparity in the way in which 
um, uh, women end up by experiencing uh, the pregnancy and the delivery. And there is no excuse for those disparities apart and, and as a result of which, um, it is absolutely essential, I say, to, to be honest about what we have today and to then set very clear goals on improving those outcomes um, and, and they can be improved, right? So it's honesty and recognition that the current state of affairs is poor um, and can be approved, but again, it requires a whole number of then underlying uh, process changes and uh, structural changes. But I think that core um, objective view of it really isn't good and let's work together to make it better at set very clear goals uh, for improvement uh, is one of the absolutely essential steps. Indeed. You know, uh, thank you so much, Francois, for this very interesting and thought-provoking conversations. Would you like to share any closing remarks? Uh, only that, uh, as I said earlier, we're, we're making great progress and, um, and, and it really takes, I think, the engagement of policymakers, of uh, members of the administration, of researchers, of organizations, you know, like yours and, 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 and ours, um, uh, to make change happen and uh, to bring all these pieces together in order to improve uh, outcomes for patients uh, overall and then uh, certainly uh, favorably impact affordability of healthcare in the United States. And, and I'm going to continue to remind everyone that they have a role to play. Um, and in particular, those who pay for healthcare uh, have the biggest role uh, in demanding more from the delivery system, demanding better outcomes, um, and then uh, demanding from those who administer uh, those dollars uh, uh, to do something uh, about it and, and not uh, continue to stay in fee-for-service, but continue that acceleration towards uh, value-based payments. Wonderful. We are so delighted to have had you on our show, Francois. You know, your contributions to improving uh, and encouraging value-based decisions in the United States are very noteworthy, and we wish you and Signify all the very best and continued success in your mission. To our audience, we hope you've enjoyed this exciting episode of Early Detect Studios. Until next time, be well.